Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets, where a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Boston join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage, homeschool, and our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of our culture. I'm Don Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Wow, that's, that's quite a lot of energy you get there tonight, Melanie. Yeah. <laughs> Under pain of something. Yes, I... <laughs> I pointed out that uh, a friend of ours pointed out that uh, at the beginning of our podcasts, especially Melanie sounds like kind of low energy. By the time we get to talking about like fiction and books and stuff, your energy levels have really reached a peak. But yeah, um, at the beginning, you sound like you barely want to be here. That's because it's Sunday night at 9 p.m. <laughs> and it's been a long day. Yes, yes. So uh, we're doing our best. And she's going to make up for me because I am so dragging. I'll explain why in a few minutes. Uh, but before we get to that, we have some listener feedback. Okay. Uh, first, not, not about me being tired. N- no, uh, I'll uh, you know I'll throw Father Chip under the bus about that later. <laughs> oh, it was Father Chip, was it? I'm not going to let him hear the end of that. Yeah. There you go, Father Chip. You're welcome. So uh, he's only trying to help us to be to, to be better. I know. Yes. I know. Constructive criticism from your priest friends. <laughs> Listener feedback. Our first feedback comes from listener Lauren, who emailed. She says, this is my first time submitting feedback. Thank you, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. I am a stay-at-home mom to two children, ages three, and the second is seven months old. So three years and seven months. Raising the Bets is my guilty pleasure podcast that I enjoy while working through the household chores. Why is it a guilty pleasure? You don't have have any guilt to listen. Just Just be happy. It's not guilty at all. (laughs) <laughs> okay uh it's, i'm just kidding lauren uh, i'm glad that it is your guilty pleasure since going down to one income my husband and i have been more seriously budgeting so i quite enjoyed your episode on your food costs we live in canada in an area where the cost of living is very high the average home price is over one million dollars and i bet that's canadian dollars so that's even more right or less I can never keep track. We recently switched to a grocery delivery service after finding it was actually cheaper and more convenient for us. I have taken over the grocery and cooking in our house, the grocery shopping and cooking in our house, while my husband takes over other chores. We spend approximately $250 per week for a family of four. This includes other household items such as cleaning supplies and toiletries. Yeah, I would like that's grocery shopping to me. That includes that. Yeah. Once a week, I plan a dinner menu for the following week on a note in my phone. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's that's what we do. That's how we share our our dinner plans. Yes. This also allows me to go back and look at menus for previous weeks so I can pull from ideas. We will try to have the same meal twice a week to reduce how often I cook, i.e., well, for example, we'll have butter chicken on Monday and again on Wednesday. Do you think that would fly in our house? Absolutely not. <laughs> I would. Uh, I used to. Well, I will, I'll. I'll give you, tell you what. How I used to live when I was a bachelor. <laughs> uh, in a second, but I'll let uh, Lauren finish. Though once in a while, I'll make a soup so we have an emergency leftover stash in the freezer for nights where there isn't time to cook. We haven't given into the Costco membership yet. If we are blessed with more children, I'm sure we will give in. God bless you and your family. Well, thank you, Lauren. God bless you too. 
Nice. So when I was a bachelor, I ate uh, Indian curry like three or four times a week. Oh, yeah. It was like coming out of my pores. I just love that stuff. And and you didn't even really put all that many vegetables in it. It was basically just like chicken and onions. Yeah, it was whatever the, I mean, because it was what the recipe on the jar. I was using like the Pataks uh-huh. jar tikka masala sauce. And I was like, okay, we can do this, but it needs a lot more like <laughs> substance to it. If yeah. I'm going to eat curry at least once a week. I made it like the Indian priests that, that uh, stayed with us at the rectory made it uh-huh. when I lived in a church rectory the pastor would um over the summer have indian priests come over from india to stay and um help out and uh they would then get a uh, stipend that they could take back with them but some of them were actually pretty good cooks and would like make uh curries and so it was i love those summers (laughs) (laughs) that's where i got my love for for indian cuisine so um backing up a bit so she talks about uh, $250 Canadian for a family of four. Um, yeah. And like when I talk about like the costs, the grocery costs, that includes any things that we buy at the store. Now I do get a lot of stuff from Amazon, like some supplies like paper towels and stuff like that. And we often get things that like Walgreens that are like, like toilet paper, tissues, stuff like that, and which that, and- and and we go to like Walgreens or the every other day convenience we go, store for milk and yeah. eggs and stuff multiple yeah. times a week. We buy a gallon of milk every other day because um, we have four, four, basically four teenagers and almost teenager and three others. Um, so I suppose that's an interesting question. When when the 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 FDA or not the FDA, the, the Department of Agriculture did their I, I think that's just food costs. It's not all the cleaning supplies and stuff food everything else everything else is like taken out yeah i i would have to go dig into that because that is a good question because when i look at my grocery budget it will sometimes include those things now now, but but like i said we don't buy a lot of our non-food stuff at at the grocery store we usually get that either like subscribe and save from amazon or Partly we I, we used to, but then it just takes up so much room in the cart, like toilet paper and laundry yes. detergent and stuff. And it's full of food. That cart every week, the cart is like overflowing. It yeah. is like yeah, I get looks. I do get looks from people. <laughs> like, are you like shopping for a battalion? Like, what is? <laughs> speaking of which, every week checkout is an, like lately for the past month. Every time I go through checkout. It is a huge, there's like, this is a computer problem. So I've mentioned before, they have a, a, a special scan as you go thing where you have a scanner, you scan the item you're buying, you put it in a bag in your cart. So that when you get to the end, the scanner has a barcode, you scan that all the food, you know, everything you bought loads into the register and then you just pay. It's a lot faster because having to take everything out of the cart, scan it and put it back in again, is such a time sink. I like the scan as you go thing, but lately, I when I've been going to this through there, like the the machine just it hits you. It, it locks up, and we have to call the the attendant, and the attendant has to call the manager. This week, I stood there for a half hour while they tried to figure out what was wrong with it. So, uh, um, I was like the guy, they were all very apologetic and very nice. And they were grateful that I was, uh, I, I was nice about it, but yeah. Anyway, um, 
nevertheless, the dinner menu thing, planning out your dinner for a week, that has made a big difference for us, I think. Yep. Like knowing what we're going to be having when. That so much helps with shopping. it, It reduces the stress in the weeknights, but it also, yeah, makes shopping simpler. Well, you buy less extraneous stuff, right? If you don't know what you're going to make, you just, you got to buy a bunch of things so you have options. Whereas now it's like, well, you know, I, and then when you buy the bunch of things, some of that stuff will go bad. No, it's not like stuff doesn't still go bad for us. But uh, nevertheless, I think we're we're wasting less, which is good. So um, the big question, though, is, is, does your milk come in a bag because you're from Canada? Not all Canadian milk comes in a bag, <laughs> only in certain regions of Canada. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was all Canadians drink no, milk from a bag. I think it's in primarily in Ontario, like the province of Ontario. Yes. I mean, this is from my friends in Toronto. I think the people, who, my friends who live in British Columbia, their milk doesn't come in a bag. But I could be wrong. Milk in a bag. It's very strange. Yeah. Okay. So, and then we just had one other little bit of feedback. Uh, Radical Edward on our StarQuest Discord community said of, of our last episode, great episode, you two. You said some good things about fiction. I thought that was a really great discussion about fiction we had. I don't remember what we talked about, but I'm oh. glad it was great. <laughs> My my brain is not. Yeah, remember why read fiction? It was the uh, article from Plow. Oh right, right. Okay, good. Yeah, so, that was fun. Yes, that was. And, and, and you know what? The audiobook you're listening to now that we're not going to be talking about it in depth because you only just started it has some connection to that discussion. You know guess, this yeah. idea. Yeah. All right, we'll be we'll be the uh, preview of coming attractions. So we'll be talking about that in a future episode. All right. So feedback. Thank you, everyone, for your feedback. We really do appreciate getting feedback from you. And let's talk about what we've been doing this weekend. Primarily, I the reason I'm tired is we had a scout campery. So both the kids troops went to the campery, the girls and the boys troops went to this the uh, council, local council's campery at Camp Squanto. Uh, if you know your American history from the time of the pilgrims, you know that Squanto was the uh, Native American who, um, Met the pilgrims. He befriended the settlers in the Plymouth colony and helped them get through the winter and helped teach them how to plant corn with fish. That's and, what I remember. And it was Catholic. He was Catholic because he had been previously evangelized by. Uh, he'd been kind of captured and taken to Europe and spent some time in Spain and was baptized and evangelized. And then he eventually came back and found that everybody in his village was dead, probably of a disease that a European Europeans disease. Yeah. had introduced, like yeah. smallpox or something. Um, so he was kind of like, ooh, Europeans, I know who you guys are. And you could talk to them because they knew the language. That was the big deal. Right. So anyway. Camp Squanto is the local scout camp that we went to. And the campery always has a theme. And so there was probably, I'd say, 10 to 15 troops there. A couple hundred kids all told. 200 to 225, I think I heard someone say. And the theme that was uh, wilderness search and rescue. And this was really kind of awesome because they had all these professionals um, EMTs, nurses, professional search teams. The guy I talked about last fall um, who taught Lucy's Den about Hug a Tree and Survive, he was there. He was kind of helping organize the whole thing. Um, they had search dogs. They had a bloodhound. They had uh, rescue dogs. It was cool. There was a lot of cool stuff. So the way it worked is on Saturday morning, all the kids 
they went to these different stations to learn search and rescue related skills, how to put a splint, how to turn, do, use a tourniquet. Um, lots of first aid sorts of stuff. Yes, lots of first aid stuff. And then other just search search skills, like just basic search. Do they uh, do like orienteering sorts of things? No, because that's something they already learn on other areas. But right. things like, you know, grid search and, you know, just how you search oh, okay. uh, for someone and what you're looking for. So, um, so that was in the morning. Then midday after lunch, they had talks by various professionals. This is one of the things Scouts is great at is about teaching kids about careers. Right, because when they do a merit badge, they have to also learn about careers associated with that skill set. Mm-hmm. So like an art merit badge, you'd learn about um, art careers. So not just like being an artist, but also like curator, curators, uh, teachers, uh, graphic mm-hmm. design. You know, there's right. all sorts of different possible career choices. And in this case, it was firefighters, EMTs. People who have search dogs, you know, um, you know, search, search dog handlers, I guess, um, you know, so on and so forth. And the kids had were able to ask all kinds of questions. How did you become a, you know, where did you get your dog from? And what's it like? Does your dog like a pet? And, you know, they got to ask all these great questions. And then in the afternoon, they had um, all the troops were divided into all the different patrols. So there was like 24, or 32 or something like that. There's a lot. And they had adults assigned to each one who was the designated victim and the camp was divided up into let's say 24 zones and so that adult um was they were given a scenario where they were all right you were mauled by a bear and you're lost in this area and this the the scout patrol is going to come find you and so they have to find them assess them treat them and then get them back to you know, the, the medical center, which, you know, which in, in this case was the dining hall, they had to, to, to bring them in. And, um, so our, so Bella and Sophie, and they had two younger scouts with them. So it was just the four of them this time. Um, uh, they had a nice woman who was mauled by a bear, quote unquote, uh, that they, that they found. And they were told that they did a really good job of, uh, teamwork. Bella was said, said to be a good leader. Bella and Sophie were t- said that they uh, were good mentors for the younger girls. So that was good. Ben was the um, leader of his patrol because his uh, patrol leader didn't come on the trip. And so he, they apparently were the first to finish. They missed wow. a few things, but uh, they, they, they found their person right away and they, they got them to, you know, they treated them uh, and, yeah. Yeah, I think he said like they missed like the sunburn or something. There's some like symptoms that they weren't. Yeah, treating. they they treated the sprained ankle, but they missed like he had a sunburn and some scrapes or something like that. Um so uh so then we had that and then after that they did processing where um there were three different like there were three basically I think three different scenarios or something like that. Uh or there was like a, a set of different scenarios and everyone who did a particular scenario got together with the other patrols who did those scenarios. And they, they talked about what it was like and how it went. And then at the end of the day, they had uh, like a closing ceremony and then they had a campfire with skits and fun, fun things to do. And that was that. And then this morning it was a uh, get up and go. So the, um, it was good. We had one new girl with the girls' troop. Um, I was with the girls' troop. Ben and Anthony were with their troop. They were they were all set on the other other part of the camp refield. But I was with the girls' troop, and um, we did pretty good. We we had uh, the four the four girls, 
and uh, they made their own breakfast. I helped. I made the bacon. They had bacon and eggs and bagels, uh, and they they made bacon, egg, and bagel sandwiches. Then um, for lunch, they had ham and cheese, and for dinner, they were making mac and cheese. And one of the things we're talking about is trying to get them to expand their horizons of you know camp cooking a bit to kind of uh, you know um, try some new things. Maybe things are a little harder. So uh, uh, the the scoutmaster Makiba is actually from Japan. She's Japanese. And so she made okonomiyaki, which is we've talked about before in the podcast that you tried to make in the past. And I'm sure Makiba's um, was a hundred times better. It, well, I don't know, but it was really good. Um, and she was so, so self-effacing about it. Oh, it's like, it's easy food. It's, you know, it's a mix. And, you know, it's, 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 it's moms who don't want to, you know, make a dinner from scratch. We make this, you know, it's, it's like, she was making it like as if it was the Japanese equivalent of mac and cheese. Uh, it was really good. <laughs> I would just say that. Um, so yeah, it was it was good. We had a we had a good time. The um, we had some bumps. Uh, the the weather was great. I was worried about there was the early forecast was for thunderstorms. We had no rain. Um, the Saturday was sunny, uh, mid seventies, which out on the field was a bit warm. Actually, if especially wasn't a breeze, if we were in the sun, and the kids were out in the sun, sitting in the sun during the some of the talks, you know, they had to make sure they had sunscreen. And they, even they, then, they got a little bit red. Yeah, but uh, but the weather was pretty good. Nights were cool. It's it's May in New England, so the nights got down into the uh, the first night in the fifties, the second night in the forties. The first night there was a whippoorwill that wanted us to know that it was there all night, like all night long. The darn thing was in the trees. Whippoorwill, whippoorwill, whippoorwill. Yes, we know. Stop it. Um, so I woke up every hour, uh, on the hour. And then, um, the next day I had to drive an hour home and then an hour back because Sophie forgot her medicine. Well, she didn't bring enough. She only brought enough for the first night. So there was that. And then, um, I thought she didn't take it until noon. She, right. I had to drive home on Saturday. She had, she had her medicine since Friday night. No, no. The, the medicine you got was the one she was supposed to take Friday night. It wasn't a Saturday morning medicine. I, I, all I know is she said, I've, I've taken the ones that I can have for Friday night. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In any case, um, then the, um, the second night, yeah, then we had some, they were so tired that I think they were having trouble uh, you know, getting to sleep and that sort of thing. Um, there was a fun moment where I went to Ben and Anthony's campsite after um, after the 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 big bonfire that the the whole camp re had, and they had a fire going there. And some of the kids were still up, including Anthony. And we were sitting around, and one of the kids asked about UFOs. <laughs> oh my! I said, "Oh, I have some UFO stories." And so I just trotted out all the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World UFO stories. I told them about the Cash Landrum incident, the Tic Tac incidents, and then Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> Way to give the kids nightmares. <laughs> Skinwalker Ranch is scary stuff. It is. Oh, I I got the shivers. I remember when we were recording that, I got the shivers. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah, including the big uh, wolf-like creature. They came out and with the uh-huh. car, the biggest the car, uh-huh. yeah, and the blue panic orbs, uh-huh. yeah, and the even like the the ranch house where all of the cabinets and all the 
kitchen cabinet doors would open spontaneously. Yeah, that's creepy. Yes. <laughs> the, telling ghost stories is a long scout tradition. So It is. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so we got up early this morning about 530. And, that's early. Yes, it was so early. Uh, packed up and uh, we're on the road home by eight and we're home by nine. So, um, yeah, it was. And then today, the, you know, the rest of today was um, cleaning the gear and repacking it, drying out the tents because it was pretty damp this morning. And then recovery. <laughs> I slept in the hammock for a Every, bit. All four of the kids who went camping took very long naps. Yeah. I took a nap in the hammock in the in the backyard myself. It wasn't a very long one, but yeah. So meanwhile, you and Lucy got a weekend home alone. We did. Lucy was mostly bored because what I did was house cleaning. <laughs> Uh, it looked awesome let me tell you i came in it looked awesome mostly okay i did i did actual clean but the big project was sorting through all shoes like to find all the outgrown shoes and all the broken shoes and sorting through clothes you know getting rid of stuff that's too small for anybody um i took five trash bags of clothes and shoes to saint vincent de paul and one trash bag to the uh, recycling place that takes the stuff that's too shredded and to be resold. Nice. Um, so, and then I vacuumed and dusted and tidied. And you got some treats. Uh, you got to go out, you and Lucy. Yeah. So Friday night we went to Taco Bell and got tacos. Because that's Lucy's favorite. She loves tacos. <laughs> uh, she ate three tacos. And I ended up eating four because I accidentally ate one of hers. <laughs> and then I had to like, and I'd put hot sauce on it. So she, so, um, she didn't want it. <laughs> Once I'd put the hot sauce on it. And then, so I went and ordered her another one. And then and there was like this extra taco and Taco Bell tacos aren't good the next day. So I just went and ate four. <laughs> it, was just, it was a lot. Uh, and then we had ice cream and we watched Hell's Moving Castle. We'll talk about that in a minute. And yeah. then, um, yeah, and then Saturday night we went out for uh, Vietnamese food. She had a huge bowl of pho and two spring rolls. And I had two spring rolls and some grilled pork. Really good. With the shrimp cake? And the shrimp cake. I love mm. the shrimp cakes. Mm. It's like pounded shrimp. And then there's some sort of like a bean paste wrap that's crispy. It's savory. It's not cake <laughs> it's oh yeah no yeah no. it's like almost like a cracker oh it's better yeah well yes but yeah yeah it's kind of cr it's got a cr nice crunch to it yeah oh, i love it uh, so yeah that was she 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 mostly like she played on the computer for like an hour but then she read her book she played cards she through i don't know did she you just, play with the boys across the street no they weren't really around on saturday oh. it was just her and me basically oh okay and we ran we ran to the store and got my eyeglasses uh the lens fell out of my glasses and mysteriously the brand new glasses the brand new glasses i'd had them for less than a week and the lens just disappeared you still haven't found it i still haven't found it i don't know where it fell out I'm so mystified by this. Uh, fortunately, they replaced it without charging me. 
I think because it was so quick, they just assumed that there was a there was a problem with the way they put with it they, the way they put the the lens yeah. on or with the lens. You itself. shouldn't lose a lens fallout with you know less than a week that you've had the the, the frames or the glasses. Um. So all right. Um. So that's what we've been doing. Let's talk about uh, some food we've been eating. Uh, it just seems like ages ago, but we last last week, w- one of the new dishes we tried that I've been looking to try was this Chinese style chicken skewers with hoisin sesame dipping sauce. And this is another America's Test Kitchen recipe. And one of the things that makes this interesting is is you you take the chick the chicken breast and you cut it into long strips. And then you weave it onto the skewer and sort of like accordion-like. And you kind of scrunch it on like accordion-like. Um, although... Do, do you think that changed the flavor or the way it cooked? Well, I think... What was the effect of... of well, so you that? marinate it in um, a marinade of sesame oil, sesame oil, soy sauce, brown sugar, hoisin, cilantro, scallions, garlic, and ginger, and Asian chili garlic sauce. So you marinate it in that. Um, and because it's long and thin, you've got more surface area for the marinade to, to, to adhere to. But when you thread it onto the skewer and bunch it up, it gives it more substance so it doesn't dry out as quick. Okay. It doesn't cook as quick. Um, so they envisioned doing this on bamboo skewers, six-inch bamboo skewers in a oven. But I just did it on the grill using the metal skewers that I usually use. And that worked out pretty good. Um, it did. It did feel a little dried out. I I, I would have, I probably should have pulled them off the, the flame a little earlier than I did, but um, they were okay. And then there's a dipping sauce that goes with it. That's more hoisin, rice vinegar, soy sauce, vegetable oils, more cilantro, sesame oil, ginger, and garlic. So it's a lot of the same flavors. Um, and so I like the hoisin flavors it's pretty good. So it, it's good. I think next time, maybe I might try it with chicken thighs. I think they are less prone to drying out, um, you know, when you cook them like that. So Sure. Um, but uh, I thought it was pretty good. The other food thing I wanted to talk about was something I made for camping. So on Saturday night after we'd finished dinner, I'd seen this idea about getting Pillsbury Grand Biscuits. So the Pillsbury, you know, the, the the little popping container that you get at the grocery store, um, they get the grand flaky biscuits. So they're very, very airy and flaky. What you do is you, you take, you, uh, I had a cast iron pan. I put some oil in, maybe an inch of oil at most, and um, take the biscuits out of the can and kind of poke a hole in it, kind of like using my thumbs, just put a hole in, make it a donut shape. And then just fry it in the oil and it cooks really quick and just fry it. And then after a minute, flip it and then take it out, let it cool and drain a little bit. And then I had a baggie full of sugar and cinnamon. So the cinnamon sugar and threw it in there and coated it up. And wow, was it good? <laughs> that sounds good. It's so simple and good. Was the texture flaky like a biscuit or was it? It was kind of airy, like like it was like a donut, like it had a, the exterior crunch of a deep fried donut. Like I think it, I think the oil was too hot. I, I, I would, I think in uh-huh. the future I would turn the oil down a little bit. The exterior got a little well done. Um, kids didn't seem to mind too much, but um, it it 
taste it was like a donut i mean it's, it's it, it didn't have the texture of a of a biscuit which is kind of funny i think there's something about that deep frying that really does it and because it's got all the the uh, shortening because i'm gonna guess it's not real butter in between the layers to, uh-huh. to make it flaky um i'm gonna i i think that that all it um, helps it become airy you know it creates the steam pockets that make it airy and whatnot as as it cooks it was really good i'm gonna t- totally do this whenever we go camping um it, it's a fun easy thing to do so uh yeah so the, it, it's a grands because they're bigger and they're more substantial they they um otherwise they'll cook way too fast you need the bigger one so that's what we've been cooking so let's talk about things we've been reading and watching. And this week I want to start with reading because I finished a book. Woohoo! In fact, I think I might finish a book by next week too. This uh, mur- new murder bot book I'm reading. Uh-huh. I'm going through it pretty quick. I'm already half done with it. So, but the book I want to talk about is the one I finished called The Last Green Valley by Mark Sullivan. That one sounded interesting. Yeah. So Sullivan wrote another book that I've talked about in the podcast called Beneath the Scarlet Sky. And that book was about a young man in Italy during World War II um, under Mussolini who ends up being a partisan in the Dolomite Mountains. And based on a true story, there's some question about how true the story is. Uh, But but yeah, this based on a true story. And um, apparently that's been optioned to make a streaming series starring Tom Holland. But I don't think anything has happened on it yet. So I don't know if that'll ever get made, but that would be cool. But this one is called The Last Green Valley. It also takes place during World War II, but in Ukraine. So the story is of um, German, let's see, years before World War II, many years before, there were Germans who were sent to kind of colonize the Black Sea region. They were like, they went, they moved out to the Black Sea region, Ukraine, basically. Um, to become farmers and stuff. And they were there for many years. And when Stalin, you know, the the communists came to power and under Stalin, they, you know, suffered because they were not, they were foreigners, essentially. They were seen as an ethnic outsiders. Um, Then during World War II, when the Germans invaded and they took over most of Ukraine at the time, as, as World War II went on and the Soviets were pushing the Germans back, these Black Sea Germans had choice to make they had do we leave the you know because living in a communist rule was terrible was awful thing um but if we leave we have to go with the nazis and you know and kind of live under nazi rule so it was a you know it was a i mean it wasn't like it was a hard decision because the, the people you know let's go from the the bad that we know the so the soviets to the bad that we don't quite know yet the the germans um and there was a sense that they were losing the war and so maybe we could you know we wouldn't have to live with under the germans so it but it involves this one family it's the story revolves with one family the martels uh the the husband the wife and they have two little boys and then it's her mother and sister and his parents and sister um, and they're all in these horse-drawn carriages, along with thousands of other um, emigrants, uh, trying to escape. 
under the watchful eye of the the Gestapo, who has been tasked with helping them get back to the motherland, and they've they've had to prove their uh, purity, their racial purity, their German background. Of course, uh, and the way that they do it, this particular family does it, is they have the family Bible from way back, from all the way back to when they lived in Germany, and so by tracing the unbroken line. That in the, the gene, family Bibles in the past used to have genealogies of the family. Right. Every birth and death and marriage was it was recorded. recorded. Yes. And so because they had it, that was their proof. Um, so uh, it's just it's this amazing story. And there's a lot of faith elements in it. The husband, through much of the story, is has abandoned his faith because of this horrible thing that he suffered through that convinced him that could not be a, a good, a God uh, who, you know, and, or if there is a God, he isn't worth worshiping because he would allow such evil things that he experienced. Um, whereas she is filled with faith. She trusts in God the whole way. Um, and they have a lot of these encounters that you could only be explained by, you know, these these things that happen that help them through that can only be explained by divine mercy, by the act, by an act of God. Um, it's pretty wild. I mean, the sacrifices they make over and over, like even before world, the World War II starts, they talk about they have flashbacks to the Holodomor, which was Stalin's program of basically starving Ukrainians to death. So how many was it like 10 million Ukrainians? I don't remember numbers very well, but it was mil- it was millions. Yeah, it was more more than the Jews died in the Holocaust. Um, it was a bigger genocide, which, you know, you know, compare things. But and but and when we say that he starved them, it wasn't just that they like took the food and like brought it to Russia. Oh, no, no, no. They like deliberately let the food sit and rot while the people were starving. They would pile the like food, like wheat in the middle of the city behind uh, guards and fences. And they would intentionally spray it down with water and turn it so that it would mold and rot and go bad as people stood there starving, holding their dying children in their arms and so on it and so forth. Really? It was cruel evil, and evil, 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 evil and horrific. Yeah. And not enough, not very few Americans know about it. It's kind of 28,000 men, women and children were dying of starvation every day, which what makes it so horrible is Ukraine is the breadbasket of, of Europe. Right. It is like it's like the, the Great Plains of the United States. They was they grow so much food there. But they weren't allowed to, you know, they weren't allowed to. Eat. They wanted to kill them off because they were an obstacle to Stalin's plans. You know, you reading this book, I started to get this sense of why Ukrainians are so opposed to letting the Russians take a, even a centimeter of their territory. Right. You know, the, the the Soviets were pretty awful to them. And yeah. But um, wow, it was it was a very inspiring story, though. I mean, it was there's horrible things happened to them. But just wow. Like. It's a great tale. That's for that's for certain. Um, I would totally uh, recommend it. I mean, then there's stuff that happens related to the Jews and the Nazis that they they encounter and see. And there's one point where they're issued some new clothes, and um, you know, as refugees, and they, there's a, a mention made 
like, oh, you know, these are the finest clothes that you know, the the young boys had ever worn, you know, because they they were peasant farmers, right? They, they, their mom made the clothes for them. But these, oh, the finest things, um, they were just so nice, apart from the gold stitching that was on the breast of the coat, which is where the gold star was. They're, in other words, they had been issued the clothes of Jews who had been killed in the concentration camps. That's really horrific. Yeah. They find that out eventually, but uh, no, is this a um, fiction or it is based on a fiction, true story? It's historical fiction, right? It's based on an actual um, yeah, family's but experiences, but it's based. It's not. There are fictionalized parts of it, but is it? But they actually went through all of like, right. But, all but of is it a novel or is it? It's a novel. Right, it's, it's not, not a it's, it's it's not a documentary sort of. Right, this is a this is a work of of fiction based right. on their story. Um, there are some characters who are composites, you know, just like the usual based on a true story stuff you see in the movies. So, uh, but the the broad outlines of this, there are there is an actual Martell family who did escape from Ukraine and did go on this wagon train and did experience most of the things that are in in you know listed in this. They went to these places. They did undergo these trials that are right. in the book. Right. Yeah, it was just wanting yep. to know about genre. Right. But there's a couple of things in there where he sort of linked narratives together and to kind of just make the story hold together. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's called The Last Green Valley by Mark Sullivan. My brother is the one who recommended it to me. He recommended me the other one as well. Um, so uh, I, and I'm recommending it to you because I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, what did you read, Melanie, this week? Oh, goodness. Um, this has been mostly a week of binging poetry. Um, I was really in the mood for reading some Ted Kuzer, and so I got several of his volumes from the library. And I've mostly been reading that. Uh, Ted Kuzer's, let's see, one of the books is called Flying at Night. Okay. Um, the title poem is like sort of flying over the flying over the country at night and seeing the lights like stars. Um, then there's one called, I think it's called Blizzard Voices. And it's sort of recreations of historical events of like a great blizzard, like in the voices of various, mm -hmm. like he did some research, did a lot of research reading like letters and diaries. And it's sort of capturing the voices of people in this great blizzard. Ted Kuzer is a Nebraskan poet. And so there's a lot of Great Plains culture in his poetry. He was uh, won the Pulitzer Prize in poetry in 2005. Right. And, and he was the U.S. Poet Laureate for a while, I think. He was the Poet Laureate to the Library of Congress right. from 2004 to 2006. Um, and then the third book is called uh, Winter Morning Walks. And... Uh, he was undergoing chemotherapy, and so the dr the drugs he was taking made him sensitive to sunlight. And so, but he needed exercise. And so he got into this habit of waking up before the sun, really early in the morning before the sun rose, and taking walks in the winter. And he had been like, with his early diagnosis, like he'd been in a slump where he wasn't writing at all. And then he suddenly started writing poems, just trying to capture an element of something from these walks. And then he sent them on postcards to a friend. And so this is just a series of these little 
vignettes. 100 postcards to Jim Harrison. Yeah. And it's really just, they're lovely, beautiful, with capturing of like one image, mostly. Um, and there's just something really kind of magical about this series of postcards. He is described as being known for his conversational style of poetry that is accessible to a non-literary public. Yeah, he's very accessible. Um, most of his poems don't rhyme, although some of them do. And they're very much plain everyday language. There's not a lot of fancy uh, word choice. There's not a lot of fancy sentence structure. Um, there are a lot of really beautiful and interesting metaphors and images mm. uh, and lots of really surprising turns. Uh, I just, but, and there's a lot about like sort of his family and neighbors and a sense of, as you read through his work of just the culture of the place, um, po poems about his dad, who was a, a salesman, like he worked in various retail stores mm -hmm. and just a sense of, of place. I and mean, he's a very American poet. So if you have never tried to checked him out, I highly recommend Ted Kuzer. Cool. Um, and then I did finish a novel that I've been reading for a while. Um, Game of Kings by Dorothy Dunnett, which is a reread. Uh, I can't even tell you how many times I've read this book before. It's the first in the historical series, The Lyman Chronicles, um, about a um, 17th century Scottish nobleman. He's a younger son. And this is during the time when Mary, Queen of Scots, is a five-year-old girl. Um, and Scotland is being ruled by her mother as queen regent and a lord protector. And uh, Edward the, is it the sixth? I forget the name, numbers. Longshanks? No, no. The boy, Henry VIII's son. Oh. Is the king of England. Oh, right, right. Because it's so the queen of Scots. The English, the English want a political marriage between Edward and Mary so that they can annex Scotland. And the Scots don't want that. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Um, it's called, sometimes it's called the rough wooing. <laughs> the rough wooing. The rough wooing. So the English are invading Scotland yet again. And the Scots have turned to the French. I mean, the Queen Mother is French. Uh, her name was Mary of Guise, and she was of the French royal family. And so she's, you know, calling up her French uh, allies. And... Um, Hello, we have a problem. And our hero... Francis Crawford of Lymond is a young Scottishman who has been previously banished for as a traitor um, for selling out the English, except he's on a mission to uh, try to clear his name. And it's just, it's a really great adventure story. It's very swashbuckling. There's lots of fights. There's a, a hilarious raid where the Scots uh, employ uh, a bunch of sheep. <laughs> and there's another one where they employ a bunch of wild ponies. Uh, they're very creative in their uh, tactics. Um, there's some great sword fights. There's a great archery competition. It's basically like the best medieval swords and um crossbows sort of fiction 
Oh, did you say uh, Isabella was reading that? No. Oh, this there's another series she's reading. Yeah, I was, I was wondering, this is not kid-friendly. This is not super kid-friendly. They're... It's... Um... Yeah. It's got adult themes. It's got adult themes. Okay. It's it said the Lyman Chronicles. And the language is really hard. L Y M O N D. Oh, Lymond. Lymond. Uh Yeah, the the language is really difficult. In fact, this is the several we my sister and I are running a book club online and several people have dropped out. They're like, "I couldn't get past the first couple chapters." Um the hero basically talks in quotations from 17th century and prior literature. And so everything he says has like layers of meaning and you don't really get to the end of it. Like even by the end of the novel, you're still kind of scratching your head at some of what he said, like it makes sense in his head. Um, So it's not easy reading, but it's really rewarding because there's so many great twists and turns and really, really well-drawn characters and the plot is just intricate okay so anyway it's it's one of my favorite books it sounds interesting and there's a series of i think it's six or seven novels he he ends up going all over basically the known medieval world he goes to france he goes to russia uh he goes to constantinople uh there are six novels. Malta. Yeah. Uh, so th- they're really, really good. France, but... Malta, uh, Europe, and North Africa. Oh, yeah. He goes to North Africa. I Court of uh, Solomon the Magnificent. Right. Um, Russia. Ivan Tsar the Terrible. Tar- Tsar Ivan the Terrible. And back to France and England. Yeah. The, the, the final novel wraps everything. I mean, there there's... There's definitely, especially in the later books, a lot of not kid-friendly stuff. Um, okay. So I would not recommend them for anybody under 18. Okay. But. Um, Good. So uh, let's move on to things we watched. I okay. finally got around to watching the new Dungeons and Dragons movie, Honor Among Thieves. I wanted Is to watch Is this another that. one where you wanted to watch it with me? Yeah. I would have watched that if I'd well, known that you were. I'll watch it again. We own it. Okay. I bought it because it was like $2 difference between buying it and renting it. So I bought oh, it. I, yeah, I was going to watch that. Okay. Um, it's fun. What everyone has said about it was true, which is it's fun. It feels true to playing Dungeons and Dragons, like the stories that you tell in your role playing. So it's very similar to that sort of thing. It it has a lot of the same Dungeons and Dragons elements. There's some great set pieces. Um. Hugh Grant is funny as the um, antagonist. I love Hugh Grant. Yeah. He's, he's so fun. It, well, especially in his dotage. I mean, he's getting to be kind of uh, playing that sort of funny British antagonist character. Um, Michelle, not Rodriguez. Michelle Gomez? Rod, no, Rodriguez. Um, she was the one who was in lo- the lost um She's also done all the Fast and Furious movies, which you haven't watched, so you wouldn't know her from that. But um, she's in it. Chris Pines, of course, plays the main character. He's really good. Um, it's funny. It's fun. You know, it's it's a great popcorn action movie. So, yeah, um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, 
I've heard several people say that they want and oh, and it's set in the standard D and D world, so Baldur's Gate and places like that. That if you play the standard adventures that you can buy prepackaged, that's where they are. So it's kind of fun if you've played the those to say, oh, that's Baldur's Gate. That's such and such, you know. So that that actually was fun to see. Um, so uh, yeah. Nothing, I was just thinking, nothing too super unusual. Or, I mean, frankly, what's unusual is to have a good D&D movie. There have been other Dungeons and Dragons movies that were not good. Uh, someone finally figured out how to do it. And basically they made it fun, like playing D&D. That was the trick. Not, not too hyper serious. Right. Right. That's the, that's the problem is all the previous D&D movies took themselves way too seriously and they just, Oh, they just didn't work. Um, they didn't have the production value to be like Lord of the Rings, you know, or the depth of story. Uh, so they just ended up being sort of like special effects extravaganzas and and taking themselves way too seriously. Whereas this didn't take itself serious too seriously, and it was fun. It was just they made they made a fun story. Um. So. What did you watch? You watched with Lucy some things. Oh, right. Lucy and I watched Howl's Moving Castle on Friday night, um, which is originally a Japanese movie, a hero Miyazaki. Oh, I don't remember his Miyazaki. Miyazaki. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, based on the novel, based on the novel by Diana Wynne Jones, which is a family favorite. I've read it aloud to the kids and I think they've all read it on their own. Um, yeah, Miyazaki. Miyazaki. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the movie is significantly different from the book, but the characters are very familiar, and I feel like the the main characters, Howl and Sophie, are very true to the book, the spirit of the characters. Um, but the novel, the world is very medieval, whereas Miyazaki's interpretation of it is very much more a sort of a steampunk okay and uh it's got airships and there's a war in the book but the war like it's sort of in the very distant background like there's it's happening or it's going to happen whereas in the movie it's here and now and there's like a lot of air battles and i feel like it's really drawing on the Japanese experience of World War II and the heavy bombing they mm. they underwent. Um and so there's there's it felt in that respect like it was really exploring the theme of the war much more than the book did. In the book the war is almost incidental. Okay. Um and I thought that made the movie really interesting in its own right. Um but it was beautiful. Like the animation is really beautiful. And that's what I've heard. I've, this is my first Miyazaki movie. I've everyone. Studio Ghibli is the right. animators. Yeah. Everyone loves Studio Ghibli and I haven't really watched any of theirs. And so this was my, my foray into it. Bella asked me, actually I watched it twice this week. <laughs> Bella and Sophie wanted to watch it really badly. And Bella asked if, if she could. And so I watched it with them on like Wednesday night, I think. Yeah. And then Lucy was wanting something to watch on Friday night. So we watched, I watched it with her. Cool. 
So the actress who played, who did the voice of young Sophie was Emily Mortimer, who was also Holly Shiftwell in Cars 2. Oh, interesting. Which I was looking at uh, Emily Mortimer's filmography. I'm like, oh, well, I recognize some of that. So anyway, I thought that was funny. Uh, and then what did you watch on Saturday night with her? And then Saturday night, uh, we watched Cinderella, which I haven't seen Disney's Cinderella since I was a kid. Um, I did step out of the room to like take care of the laundry and, and put away some food and stuff in the middle of it. So I, um, I missed part of the middle, but wow, <laughs> I had really forgotten a lot of the movie. And it's different watching it as an adult than it was as a kid. I'm not sure if I've ever watched it as an, uh, the, that movie. Like, uh, like because, you, you know, when I was a kid, you didn't just watch, you know, Disney movies on, you know, video cassette or they had to be in the theaters. And they only they came into the theaters like once every seven years. And I remember seeing Snow White in the theater as a kid. But I don't think we we had um Cinderella the theaters when I was a kid we had the Disney Channel so we never um, had the Disney Channel <laughs> I was always envious of you guys who had the Disney Channel uh, we had the Disney Channel but I'm not sure I mean I think I maybe we had Cinderella either I watched on the Disney Channel or maybe I watched it on video or maybe I watched it on TV I don't even remember clearly when I'd seen it hmm. um but the animation is that in Cinderella is really beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Those the, those early Disney movies are uh, stunning works of art. The early cell animation is just I can't imagine can't can't imagine what it was like for people to sit down in theaters to see this stuff because it was unlike anything they'd ever seen before. So Lucy had never had never seen it either. Um and she really liked it. She loved the mice. Uh she she of course knows the Cinderella story from like picture books. And so she was, she had some really interesting commentary. I'm like, Oh, well in the book, this happened. And in the, in the movie, this happened. And so she was kind of commenting on the, the differences in the versions, which mm. was fun. Cool. It's nice to get that one-on-one -on -one with, with, you know, what, with the, with the, one of the kids to, and experience these things together. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, Oh, she's very fun to spend time with. Yes. She's very easygoing. I took her out to lunch on Thursday, uh, just me and her. I know. She got three meals out this week. I know. I know. Spoiled. I didn't. I, yeah. I I don't know that I would have taken her out if I'd thought about it. <laughs> because I try to, like, once a month, I try to take one of the kids out for either breakfast or, or lunch, just for one-on-one -on -one time with me. And... uh and I like, oh, my schedule allowed for it this week, the, this Thursday to, to go out for lunch. And so we went up to the food court at the mall because she wanted sushi and I got her some fried rice from the Chinese stand. And, you know, we did that. Um, although food court sushi, I could have just gone to the sushi restaurant. And we could have got more sushi for what I paid. Um, but nevertheless, it was fun to go with her. And yeah, like you said, she's she's a fun companion to, to spend some time with, even at 11 years old 10 10 years old that's what i said uh <laughs> my excuses i'm tired so uh that's today's excuse so that's what we've been reading and watching um we could talk about the gospel from in the homily from this week's mass except i was really tired and i 
I don't remember anything that father said. I remember him talking about joy. I remember him talking about, you know, the, all of the readings had something to do with um, showing joy in the Lord. Um, so I'm joyful. I was listening. <laughs> I, it did not go into long-term memory. The problem with the, with the problem, quote unquote, with this reading, as we were talking before, is that it's Jesus talking about something abstract. There's no, um, there's no narrative visual image here. There's not Jesus walking by the seashore or, you know, doing a miracle or something, but sort of in the whole point of this week's gospel is to point to Pentecost. It's Jesus's last words before Ascension Thursday, or for most of you lucky folks, Ascension next Sunday. Um, we, we actually get Ascension. We, Thursday. yeah, we're in that, that small part of the U S where we have Ascension on Thursday. And, uh, so Jesus is, you know, telling them about the spirit is coming, that the the advocate. And that's pretty much the job of this week's gospel is to kind of point to Pentecost, which is in two weeks. So we'll do that. We'll point to Pentecost. Pentecost is coming, folks. Start your novenas on Thursday. Don't start them early. Otherwise, you're going to be off. Yeah, I feel like this Easter season has once again... Flown by. Flown by. Which flew by faster, Lent or Easter? Easter. Yeah. Although Lent flew too. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if, yeah. I'm not sure if I, if I would say Easter flew by faster. Lent this year seemed to go pretty fast. But um, As we record, it's Mother's Day and I do not want to fail to wish you a happy Mother's Day on the podcast. Oh, thank you. Um, I, on a, on a less happy note my this is my first mother's day without my mom so i was thinking of her today um praying for her her and if you could spare a prayer for my mom and my dad both of whom passed away in the past year i would appreciate it and uh so and i did wish melanie i wished your mom happy mother's day to the to the last mom i have left because mm. <laughs> both of my grandmothers of course have gone and well, now my mom is gone so my now my mother-in-law is my last mother um so all right, so that should do it for us this time. We'd like to take a moment to also thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Raising the Bets, including Megan G, Deacon N, Chris F, Nicholas S, and Nathan A. Their generous tax-deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Raising the Bets and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And that's it for this time. Find links from our discussion in our show notes at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Send your feedback at the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send us an email at bets at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Remember to like Raising the Bets on the StarQuest Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us on Twitter at SQPN and leave us comments wherever you find us. We love to interact with you. Until next time, I'm Dom Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Raising the Bets on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Technology. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology.